Welcome to That and a Dollar, the podcast that never wants to know the odds. I'm a guy named Chuck. What I like to do is pick a topic and dive in with some fun pop culture examples. My hope is to share my thoughts and provide some insight into some of my favorite franchises out there. I hope to give you some movies or shows that you may have not seen, or at the very least, remind you of some of those forgotten gems. I like sharing things I like and maybe shed a little light on why I like them so much. It's, I always love to hear people talk about things that they like, even if they're not my favorite. Uh, if I watch a movie and I don't like it, I always try to get back and rewatch it down the road, just in case the movie was good and it was me and where I was at the time. When it comes to shows, I like to give a minimum of three episodes before I decide to continue. If you like the podcast, I'm posting articles at my blog, primarilyentertainment.com. I'm also on Twitter. You can find me at at that and a dollar. Feel free to check that out. If you'd like to help keep this one-man operation flying, please feel free to leave a tip at buymeacoffee.com slash that and a dollar. Or you can check out our store at cafepress.com slash that and a dollar podcast. There's something about going up against it. I mean, I love movies when you can honestly not tell how it's going to turn out. Um, are all our heroes going to make it out alive? Will they accomplish their mission? So many times we see a movie and everything gets wrapped up in this nice, neat package where the good guys win and the bad guys lose. Sometimes it's nice not to know how it's going to turn out. So I thought today we'd explore some movies where our heroes seem to have the odds against them. So here are five movies where we go against all odds. Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is probably one of the darkest Star Wars films. I also think it is you know, a great standalone film as well. Yes, I love Star Wars, and like many others in my age group, I have loved it from the very first moment that I saw that Star Destroyer appear on screen in A New Hope. The cast is excellent. The story uh, we, we have imagined since we saw the first movie. I know I've always wondered what was the story behind getting the plans for the Death Star, and this film delivers on so many uh, levels. So Galen Erso is the designer of the Death Star, and we see him trying to lead this sort of quiet life in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the Serenity does not last, and he has planned for this. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who you know from the show Hannibal, as well as the movies Doctor Strange and Polar, uh, delivers this wonderfully tortured performance. He knows he cannot allow this weapon to be built, but he also realizes it is going to be built with or without him. At least if he's involved, he can delay and sabotage the production as much as possible. Jen Urso, daughter of Galen, is tough as nails rogue, to put it bluntly. Uh, she's living on the edge as best she can. A criminal, yes. A survivor, definitely. January Jones plays this wonderful character, and you know her from the theory of everything, Inferno, uh, and on the basis of sex. Um, she's not a believer in the cause. She also has no love for the empire. She's simply trying to survive as best she can to get through all of this. Diego Luna plays Cassian Andor. He is a rebel and uh, does what needs to, what he needs to do to get the job done. Now you'll know Diego Luna from Narcos Mexico, uh, the remake of Flatliners and well, you know, Andor the prequel series to Rogue One, which if you're not watching it, you should. That's really, really good. Uh, um, Cassian Andor is a calculating rebel. He looks at what is needed and finds the best way to do it. He does his best to follow his orders, but he has a moral compass and is able to think for himself um, and how best to serve the greater good. We get a wonderfully wisecracking robot, not as true to Star Wars as um, you'd think it is, but it is a wonderful addition. Alan Tudyk plays K2SO, a reprogrammed Imperial droid, this droid seems to not only have a mind of its own um, and definitely speaks it without a filter. 
Uh, great character work here as usual um, from Alan Tudyk, and you know him from A Knight's Tale, Resident Alien, and of course, Firefly. Riz Ahmed plays Bodhi, an Imperial pilot who has defected to the Rebels. Uh, he is sent by Galen to deliver an important message to aid the Rebels. Throughout most of the film, he is dealt with as being untrustworthy, and of course, um, why wouldn't he be met with his distrust? He is an Imperial pilot, um, and this this could all be a trap. You know, you know Riz Ahmed from uh, the wonderful show The Night Of on HBO, as well as The Sound of Metal and Nightcrawler. Post Order 66, you gotta wonder what has happened with all the Jedi. Now, Donnie Yen plays a blind Jedi Knight who was once protecting a temple and now essentially surviving on the streets. He seems harmless and a little crazy, which is probably how he has survived the hunt for the Jedi all these years. You know him from, is it Ip Man? I don't know. I've never seen these movies. It's IP Man, Ip Man uh, series. I hope I'm saying that right. As well as the live action Mulan and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny. Now, another Jedi hiding in plain sight is played by Win Jang. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, he seems more battle-hardened and ready for the fight if it's going to appear. It seems his primary focus is protecting Yin's blind Jedi. And I'm thinking the story of these two and their bond might be a wonderful movie in and of itself. Now, you know Jang from uh, Devils on the Doorstep, Let the Bullets Fly, and The Sun Also Rises. Now, I love the acting of Forrest Whitaker, and he plays Saw Guerrero, Um more of an extremist with his own agenda in this rebellion. Uh, he's rescued Jen Urso after Galen was captured by the Imperials. He plays a rundown and beat up leader of a rogue band of extremists. Now they're willing to take the fight to the Empire whenever and however. Each seems as though they are willing to die for this cause. Now you know Forrest Whitaker from about a million things, but the short list is Last King of Scotland, The Butler, and uh, Blown Away. I love that movie. Of course, Jimmy Smith reprises his role as Bail Organa here. This really helps to sort of tie the prequel trilogies as well as the original trilogies. If you know, then you know. Uh, a brief appearance that seems designed to do exactly what it does and tie these stories together. You know Jimmy Smith from NYPD Blue, Sons of Anarchy, and uh, The Believers. Now, the film starts when the Rebels rescued Jen Erso in an attempt to gain access to Saw Guerrero. Saw rescued Jen as a child and cared for her. The rebels believed uh, that she could get them access to Saw with as little friction as possible. Now, Saw is seen as a fringe element of the rebellion. Once they arrive at Saw's base as captives, Jen sees a message from her father. She's the only member of the group to see the message. The Death Star is being built above uh, the planet as proof of concept. Grand Moff Tarkin orders a test fire on the capital city. This is a single reactor fire, so the planet will not be disintegrated. Uh, just the area around the city will be decimated. Um, think of the most powerful nuke ever. Multiply it by 100, uh, and our group narrowly escapes. And uh, the real issue is Jin is the only one who saw the message from her father about this space station and its flaws. Cassian checks in with the leadership, is sent off to acquire Galen Urso. His orders are to actually kill Galen so he cannot finish the weapon. These are his secret orders. Our group heads off to attempt this feat. Their ship crashes on a planet surface, and they split the group. Donnie Yen's character senses something is off and heads off to follow Cassian Andor. Bodhi is sent to find a new ship and to get them off planet. Since they crashed and comms are down, 
The rebels assume the worst and send a squad of bombers to take out the facility. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong. But of course, our group comes through. They're able to escape. However, Cassian does not kill Galen. Back on Yavin 4, there's a discussion of what to do next. The rebels are split here. Half want to attack Scarif to gain the plans of the weapon, while the other half seem to think it's a fool's errand that would surely destroy the rebellion. Our plucky group and some volunteers steal a ship and head off to Scarif. This is the big final push, the battle of the third act, filled with roadblocks, each of which looks like our group is not going to make it. I don't want to give too much away here, but I do want to mention the one thing that makes this the darkest of the Star Wars films. Literally everybody on the planet dies. I know, huge spoiler, sorry about that. But the team we have been with through the entire film does not make it out. This blew me away. What a choice. You know, I honestly think this is a great war film. Never mind Star Wars. All right, next up, and I'm late to the show on this one. It's been on my watch list since it came out, but uh, I only watched it in prep for this episode. When it comes to movies based on true stories, I'm always a little skeptical, and while this one has some parts that have me questioning it, uh, in no way did it pull me out of the movie itself. It's an engaging story of survival. Uh, This one will have you on the edge of your seat all the way through. Well-written, well-acted, as well as wonderfully shot. If you like a good military movie with seemingly insurmountable odds, then you need to see Lone Survivor. This one starts off simple enough. Sort of the day in the life uh, uh, in the beginning, right? Uh, We got guys sleeping. We got guys exercising. You know, something is happening, but you don't really know what. Uh, The entire first 20 or 30 minutes of this movie allows you to really get to know these guys and the larger cast around them. You get a real sense of camaraderie and family amongst the, the this crew of operators. And then the mission briefing comes down. Our guys are being sent after a Taliban leader, Ahmad Shah. Shah is responsible for killing over 20 U.S. Marines as well as villagers and U.S. allies and assets in the area. He is definitely a bad guy and must be dealt with. The mission seems impossible enough. Insert via helicopter and hike into a mountain position overlooking a small village. Identify Shaw if he is there. Um, and if he is, deal with him and head home. Our team does just this, right? We see the hike in uh, with wonderful shots of landscape. Uh, we get these wide views of the varied landscapes of Afghanistan. We get grassy lowlands, tree-covered highlands, arid mountain peaks. Uh, it all seems very light. People are doing their jobs. It's almost boring, if not for the wonderful views. The team arrives at the spot. They set up surveillance on the village. The, they spot Shaw and dig in for the evening. Again, nothing really happening yet. You do not know, you know, even notice this until after, right? It's all this is all, you know, prelude. Suddenly up the hill comes a goat herder and a couple of kids. Now our seals capture and detain this group of three and begin to debate what to do. The elder of the group had a radio on him. Is he Taliban? Most likely. What do we do? What to do? Um, Do we detain, complete the job, and hope no one comes looking for them? Do we release, scrub the mission, hoping to get out before they can alert the Taliban forces? Or do we do the unthinkable and, well, eliminate the threat? (laughs) It is ultimately decided that they will scrub the mission, release the detainees, and hope to get out ahead of any alerted forces. This is where the movie really starts. You know how a lot of movies have a little lull in Act 2? Lone Survivor has a sustained gunfight that takes place for almost all of Act 2. 
this group of four SEALs under fire as they try to flee the area undetected. Well, not undetected, but unharmed. They are outnumbered, they are outgunned, but they never stop jumping or outright falling off of a couple of cliff faces to put distance between them and enemy forces. Being shot multiple times, one guy is taken around to the head and is still moving. One by one, each of the team is ultimately eliminated until the final member is down to fighting with almost nothing more than a stick and a hand grenade uh, when local villagers take him in and tries to help him. Not looking to give too much way here, but you, you need to know this ongoing fight lasts for a majority of the movie. Once it starts, it does not stop until we get to the village. And even then, it does not stop, but only slows a bit. Wonderful pacing on this. Written and directed by Peter Berg, an underrated filmmaker in my opinion. Uh, you get the grit of this true story mixed with the realism of war. This is not a Rambo movie with thousands of rounds and uh, no one, you know, when the bad guys get hurt. There's a lot of hurt and very real feel to the action sequences. Now, Danny Dietz is played by Emil Hirsch. You know him from Speed Racer, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Lords of Dogtown. Taylor Kitsch plays Michael Murphy. You know Taylor from Friday Night Lights, the TV show, A Season of True Blood, and X-Men Origins Wolverine. I always love when I see Ben Foster on screen. He is excellent in everything I've seen. I loved him on Freaks and Geeks. He was excellent in the remake of The Mechanic. Um, and also was great in Pandorum. If you've not seen that, you need to see that as well. It's a really good sci-fi mystery movie. Main character of Marcus Luttrell is played by Mark Wahlberg, who delivers a great performance here. You know Mark Wahlberg from The Fighter, The Departed, Boogie Nights, just to name a few. Uh, another underrated talent. I always enjoy seeing him on screen. Armageddon is really a disaster movie, but since we got a small group against the odds, I thought it could fit here. And the best way to see this one is on the big screen in a theater. Or if you have a home projector or something, you know, it needs to be larger than life. The effects are huge. The cinematography backs it up. The cast of characters is wonderful and believable. The story has tension uh, to it because you're never sure if they will or won't succeed. I always forget how much I enjoyed this one. Just like all those disaster films from the 1970s, you got a great cast, no unknowns at all, a who's who of 90s actors here. We got Peter Stormare, who you know from Fargo, Constantine, John Wick Chapter 2. It seems like if you need a Russian, this is who we get. And why not? He's wonderful at it. Uh, here he plays a Russian cosmonaut on board a space station where our team has to refuel Things go wrong. I mean, it's a disaster film, so we bring him along with us, right? For our drilling team, we got the number two guy, the right hand, is played by Will Patton. You'll recognize him from No Way Out, uh, The Client, a couple of episodes of Numbers. Usually he plays a cop with a gray moral outlook. Uh, however, here he's essentially the right hand and trusted advisor to the head of our drill team. William Fickner, and I hope I'm getting that right, and almost everything I see him in, I love him. Um, you'll know him as the cop from Go. He was in Black Hawk Down, Drive Angry. He plays a military pilot flying one of two shuttles that will land on the meteor that is heading toward Earth. Michael Clark Duncan from Green Mile, The Whole Nine Yards, Sin City. This giant plays one of our drillers. Another one I love seeing on screen, and here is, is no different. Next up is Owen Wilson, who plays... Well, I, I guess he plays Owen Wilson, and I mean that as a total compliment. He's one of our drill team and, and seems to have sort of a, a light approach to things. He doesn't want it to be too heavy, no matter the odds. Uh, I honestly think this is how Owen Wilson might actually be. Uh, you'll remember Owen Wilson from Wedding Crashers, Royal Tenenbaums, and Zoolander. 
Our grizzled geologist with ties to the mob is played by none other than Steve Buscemi, a great character actor no matter the role. And here is no different. He plays this sort of creepy, morally questionable guy, but his loyalty lies with the team. Uh, you're going to know Steve Buscemi from just about everything Tarantino has made, as well as Fargo, Ghost World, and Hotel Transylvania. Liv Tyler, she plays the daughter of the owner of the drill team and um, the love interest of one of our drillers. You know her from Lord of the Rings movies, 911 Lone Star, and The Strangers. That's a creepy one if you like a good creepy movie. I can't recommend The Strangers high enough. All right, head of mission control at NASA is played by Billy Bob Thornton. It is one of the few sort of normal people I've seen him play. He's a great actor. He does an excellent job here. You know him from Sling Blade, uh, Pushing 10, and the first season of the Fargo series. Now, our hotshot young guy who thinks he knows more than everybody else is played by Ben Affleck. Um, he is in love with the owner's daughter. That's Liv Tyler. He's always pushing harder and faster without thinking, trying to impress his boss. Now, you know Ben Affleck from a bunch of stuff, Goodwill Hunting, Argo, The Town. The head of our drill operations and owner of the company is played by Bruce Willis. You know Bruce Willis from, what, Moonlighting, Die Hard, 12 Monkeys, the movie. Um, and here is here he is this sort of quiet and reserved guy just trying to get the job done, right? He's just He just wants to hit his mark and go home. Now... This team is assembled when it is discovered that a meteor is heading towards the Earth. It's about the size of Texas and would destroy everything on the planet. The best plan NASA has is to land a shuttle on the meteor, drill into it, and detonate a nuke. This will break the meteor in half, and both halves will miss the Earth. Now, I don't want to give too much away. This is worth the watch. The effects are still pretty good. Uh, the serious parts will make you think, maybe even cry a tear or two. The funny parts will make you laugh. Maybe even cry a tear or two. A great watch, and you should check it out. Uh, it's over on HBO Max. And Glorious Bastards is an excellent example of Against All Odds with a bit of alternate history thrown in. In uh, any other hands, this could have been a comical farce, but with Tarantino's handling of the material, it is elevated to another level. The cast gives a top-notch performance, um, as you would expect, Tarantino delivers one of his best films uh, in, in this one. I love this movie. It's got to be one of my favorite Tarantino films. And of course, with Tarantino, we're talking about degrees of good. Am I right? I mean, they're all really good. Uh, the main story through um, this film is about propaganda film being made. This is to focus on the exploits of Frederick Zoller, played by Daniel Brühl. Uh, you'll know him from Captain America, Civil War, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Rush. Uh, as um as is always true to Tarantino films, the cast is excellent. We also have Michael Fassbender, who you will know from Prometheus, Steve Jobs, X-Men First Class, uh, a member of the Resistance. He helps the bastards make contact with their movie actress slash informant, uh, a short yet memorable role. Colonel Hans Landa is adept at hunting down Jewish people and those who are hiding them from the Nazis. He is meticulous in his search and relentless when he knows he is right. Um, the opening scene with him is just this wonderful cat and mouse game, and it's just it's shot wonderfully, it's performed wonderfully. Uh, it, it'll stand out as soon as you see it. Uh, this performance should be on a list of its own. Um, expertly delivered by Christopher Waltz, Christoph Waltz, sorry, um, who you know as Blofeld from the recent Bond movies, as well as Django Unchained and Zero Theorem. 
Eli Roth plays Donnie Donowitz, the bear Jew. This guy takes real pleasure in beating Nazis to death with a baseball bat. I think we all watch this and live vicariously through him a little bit. I mean, most of us would not want to do what he does, but the men he beats are so evil that we sort of understand. Now, you know, Eli Roth, probably more from behind the camera with movies like Cabin Fever, Hostel, and of course the docuseries Eli Roth's History of Horror. Uh, Mary, uh, Melanie Laurent plays a theater owner uh, where the Third Reich has decided to show their propaganda film. It's a small theater, but the idea is to make an exclusive event to high-ranking Nazis and their families. Uh, you'll know her from Now You See Me, Beginners, and Oxygen. Um, if you got a group like the Bastards attempting to infiltrate enemy lines, we're going to need a contact that they can count on. Now, Diane Kruger plays a film actress who's working with the Resistance, and going to help the team infiltrate the theater the night of the premiere. You know her from National Treasure Movies, Unknown, and The 355. Brad Pitt turns in a wonderful performance about the most unapologetic American he can be. He is here to do one job. We in the killing Nazi business, and cousin businesses are booming. He attempts to speak Italian at one point, and it is the worst accent ever heard, and it is wonderful for the character. Now, you know Brad Pitt from a ton of stuff. He did, what, an episode of Growing Pains back in the 80s, as well as an episode of 21 Jump Street, and an episode of Head of the Class. Did I hit the high parts? Yeah, we know. He did 12 Monkeys, A River Runs Through It, Moneyball, Thelma and Louise, and so on, and so on, and so on. I just thought some single episodes would be a little more fun. And Glorious Bastards is about a group of warriors who are dropped behind enemy lines, to conduct essentially guerrilla warfare. They ambush Nazis and kill them violently and graphically as you would only expect from Tarantino. Now, I'm not opposed to violence in film, and he does this wonderfully. It's so over the top in places it could almost be comical, like in Ash vs. the Evil Dead, the series. But here Tarantino keeps it just short of farce and maintains the heavier, darker tone. Our group learn of uh, the movie premiere that the highest ranking Nazis will be attending, and this becomes the target. All they are focused on is getting everyone in this theater. Of course, unknown to them, the owner of the theater had the same plan. Now, I don't want to give too much away, uh, but I still will say this is alternate history of World War II, so the end is a little different than you'd expect, and it is definitely satisfying. When you say impossible odds, this is one that is on everybody's list, and I'm talking about The Dirty Dozen. Another stellar cast. Uh, I wonder, was this cast as well-known at the time of the film, or is it that most are household names now? Um, a little long, but hardly noticeable at two and a half hours. Well-written and structured. This movie has an even pacing. It is a must-see for any war film fan. Um what we have here are a bunch of prisoners, uh, not war prisoners, but criminals in the military for various infractions. They're all in for long term and some to be executed. Uh, the plan is to use these guys to pull off an impossible mission since they are seen as expendable to the military anyway. Uh, the mission is a French chalet that has been commandeered by Nazis to be used for rest and relaxation as well as conferences. Uh, the idea is to destroy the retreat and all who are in it, heavily guarded in enemy territory and a group of ne'er-do-wells to execute the mission. The odds are against them. I have to say I really enjoy this one. 
especially the spectacular cast. Now, Donald Sutherland is here. He plays a bit of a screw-up. Well, they're all screw-ups, but you'll know him as the professor in Animal House from the Hunger Game movies, uh, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's the 70s remake. That was so creepy. Oh, the ending. Check that one out if you haven't. Uh, we have Archer Maggot, who is the sort of strict moral code and has no problem killing those who violate it. Um, played wonderfully by Telly Savalas. Now that's television's Kojak, as well as uh, he was in Pretty Maids all in a row and Cannonball Run 2. Major Armburster aids in putting together this bunch. He is not sure if it's going to work, but he's definitely in. Now, George Kennedy never disappoints. You know him as Dragline from Cool Hand Luke, one of my favorite of all time movies. Uh, I probably saw that a ton of times with my dad. He was also in Airport and, of course, the Naked Gun movies. Now, I loved the show Police Squad when it was on, um, which is where those movies come from. I think it only had like five or six episodes. Jim Brown is the big tough guy ready to run into harm's way. You know him from Running Man, Mars Attacks, Ice Station Zebra. Uh, The quiet tough guy, which is really on brand for this actor. Charles Bronson does it well here and always does. You know him from the Death Wish series, uh, Assassination, and 10 to Midnight. Now, I really like that one. It's a great crime uh, thriller. Uh, The man who's overseeing the mission is General Warden. Uh, He honestly does not think this will work. He is sure these guys will fail, and we are talking about Ernest Bergnine, one of my favorite character actors, and I always forget him as an actor. Uh, You just remember the role. You know, he was in Convoy as the corrupt sheriff. He was in Escape from New York as the cabbie. He was in the Airwolf series, and for some reason, I remember the characters. I don't remember that it's him until I'm watching. You go, oh, that's right. Uh, Leading our men into battle and advocating for those who survive to have their records clear is Lee Marvin. When you need a hard-edged, tough-as-nails leader, you look no further than Lee Marvin. Now, you'll know him from Delta Force, Gorky Park, Paint Your Wagon, uh, Cat Baloo. There it is, my list of uh, five against all odds. Did I miss yours? Let me know on social media with the hashtag, hashtag thatandadollarpodcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at at thatandadollar. We're also on Instagram at a underscore guy underscore named underscore Chuck. Also, don't forget to join our Facebook group, That and a Dollar Podcast. Make sure you read the corresponding blog post over at primarilyentertainment.com. If you want to support future episodes, please leave me a tip at buymeacoffee.com slash that and a dollar. Or you can check out our store over at cafepress.com slash that and a dollar podcast. As always, I'm a guy named Chuck and that and a dollar will get you a cup of coffee.